Welcome to the November edition of Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle. My name is Randy Ray. I'm the Director of Broadcast Engineering on campus. And today I am joined by the 11th President of West Texas A&M, Dr. Walter Windler, and Regents Professor Royal Brantley. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Mr. Brantley, I want to start off by what's a Regents Professor? Well, um... Some time ago, the Texas A&M University System started a program which uh, honors uh, who they felt were uh, professors excelling at what they did, and I was very blessed to receive that award uh, back back in the 90s. And we've had several faculty members on the WT campus who are Regents Professor. Alex Hunt just recently uh, joined joined the ranks of Regents Professor, Uh, Bruce Brasington, Charmazel Dutt. Um, so it, it, it was wonderful. Uh, Karen and I got to go down to College Station, uh, you know, receive receive the award, and uh, you know, it was it was nice that uh, that a system office like that would look not just at College Station, but they would look beyond at all of their branch campuses um, and recognize some people. So, uh, so it's it's a nice big medallion. I'm very honored to to wear it <laughs> and uh, to have that title. And there are several others on on campus. So, and, and you have uh, you've been with WT. You've worked here since 1984. Right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go to school here? I did. My undergrad in theater uh, from WT. Graduated in 1980. Yeah. So we were here kind of the same same time for yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, he, I, he looks good for his age, doesn't he? he, does, he does. <laughs> <laughs> a podcast has many lies, many visual lies. Well, I owe you a big thanks because 18 years ago you hired me. So I appreciate that. Well, obviously, it was one of the smartest things I've ever done. <laughs> Did you hear that, Dr. Winley? Yeah, I, I heard it, but I'm not believing it. I, we've, we're all wearing masks, so you know you can't you can't trust somebody wearing a mask. I mean, Mr. Brantley, the reason we wanted to have you here today is just to talk about the the odd things we're going through right now and how things have affected you in theater. How, how has it affected you guys in theater? Wow, it's a really really long answer. I don't know how much time we have, <laughs> uh, but let me break it up into two. Two significant answers, uh, one that deals with production and the other one that deals with instruction. Um, I'll start with instruction. Uh, We have been incredibly flexible. Uh, I think, for example, every class that I teach, I teach a performance-based course and I teach a lecture-based course. Either I always have students on Zoom and I have students in the classroom. So I'm teaching to uh, online students and students in the classroom. At the Uh, same time. At the same time. At the same time. And then uh, there are some students who um, they have been so ill uh, that we've had to work independently through Zoom. Uh, to you know, meet certain assignments uh, for a performance-based class. For example, they have to perform, and this is a Shakespeare acting class, so uh, they're performing speeches. Uh, and uh, if they can't get it in during the class session, then we have to set up a Zoom so we can take a look at it. Uh, Zoom has certain limitations as far as seeing the entire body, but you can you can see what the face and the upper body is doing. Uh, you can hear, of course, what's going on with the voice. So it's been an interesting tool. So we've you know we we've adapted. Uh, lecture-based courses are a little more self-evident uh, because they're there and they're listening. Uh, and always inevitably they ask questions too. So uh, what's missing is the synergy. Uh, you know I've been teaching so long that I, I really miss the synergy of all the students there 
all you know probing that same issue in the same the same way. So we've we've adapted, uh, and I and I think uh, it's it's vital that we do and continue to adapt because every student, their health, the situation, and families come into this too. You know, families are facing some challenges uh, financially and with their health. Zoom gives the students an opportunity to continue to learn even though they're they're away. So instruction has gone that way. Uh, we continue, of course, with as much face to face instruction as we can. Uh, we maintain social distancing, masks are worn, uh, the whole business. Uh, production is the other significant answer, and that's really been fascinating. Um, of course, COVID-19 took the theater world by surprise. Um, and to this date, Broadway is still closed. Um, I didn't know and, that. Yeah, it's still closed. Uh, and they keep putting it off, keep putting it off the opening. Because when you, when you produce a Broadway production, you want every seat sold. You can't operate at 25%. You can't operate at 50%. That does not fit the financial formula. So they're not going to open until they can fill those theaters. Uh, and who knows when that's going to be? Who knows when that's going to be? And, I mean, we'll see what happens. And Royal, as a performer, playing to a house where every fourth seat is occupied is not the same thing as playing to a house. It's the, the energy's not there. And exactly. You feed off of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You that, that shared event, that that communion, if you will, that certain theater scholars talk about. You don't have it. You don't right. have it. So, uh, so we were faced with, well, do we even do productions this fall? I think as a theater faculty, uh, we collaborate really well and we always solve problems. Mm -hmm. And I think we teach our students that theater is problem solving uh, because inevitably you get a script, it's on paper, and that's chaos. <laughs> and you bring order to that chaos. But now the extra level of, okay, we're going to do productions, but no live audiences. So what's everybody doing? Well, they have two choices. Uh, the rights holders for these productions, some of them totally unprepared for this, and you just can't do that show because they have no digital rights or streaming rights. And those are the two options. Uh, digital means you can record it, you can edit it, you can put it into a package and then make it available like video on demand for your audiences. Or they have streaming rights. And streaming rights mean you can perform, but it has to be live and it has to be sequential. Uh, it's a live performance captured by camera. So this semester, our first production was Vintage Hitchcock, and it streamed uh, live performance. Uh, second production was a musical called Theory of Relativity, and we got digital rights for that. And MassCom was was instrumental, uh, Mike McFarland, in helping us put that production together. Uh, you know, filming this in someone's apartment. Uh, students who, in fact, we even had students who were quarantined, and they self-taped their songs or dialogue on their phones and then sent that in. So School of Music helped us with their sound recording studio, and we layered all the tracks uh, to the recorded track that we got from the rights holder. So that show was cut up into pieces, filmed, recorded, put back together, and presented as video on demand for our audiences. And then we just closed Caucasian Chalk Circle, which, again, we could only get streaming rights. So we had two live performances uh, that were captured by cameras. Uh, so... And, you know, so for the, the, the first show and the last show, we trained our students to operate the cameras. Granted, they don't have the kind of skill that, let's say, a broadcasting student does, but they learned very quickly their role in the production, what they needed to do. Because, again, we got to solve problems, and we want to give our students as many skills as possible. So long answers, but that's, that's <laughs> what's been going on. Let's, let, me, let me ask a question, if you don't mind, Randy. Um, Royal, the, uh, on the instructional side, this movement to uh, Zoom instruction or I'll just, maybe just digital instruction because it could be 
a lot of things besides Zoom, but um, we're we're it's like a Xerox copy. You know, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. ways to do Zoom. But the point is, are there any aspects of digital instruction that you think will forever become part of the uh, repertoire of teaching in theater that you wouldn't have thought of? In other words, did uh, you know? Is is in fact uh, necessity the mother of invention? <laughs> yes, I think two things. Uh, I think first of all, our students, and we started this last spring, and it continues to this day. They've had to do a lot of self taping. You know, here's your assignment, or let's say it's their jury at the end of the semester. You have to self tape and upload that. And we should have been doing that sooner, to be honest with you, because that's the profession. Uh, you know, if I were to step out and go back to, to acting, over 50% of my auditions would be self-tape. Mm -hmm. You know, I would just record up my phone and, and send it in. I, I mean, I do, I do voiceover work, and I don't sit in front of a nice microphone like this. I record it on my phone, an MP file, and I email it to them, and the job's done. Right. Uh, so that's one thing. I think the other thing is... Better digital resources for our students. And I'll use my Acting 3 class as an example. Uh, before the semester started, I filmed th uh, seven brief lectures on the theory that we were going to pursue this semester, the technique uh, that we were going to use, uh, how to handle Shakespeare's language, how to approach Shakespeare for the actor, period. So I broke that down into seven lectures and filmed those. So those little digital resources have been there all semester for the students to go to, to look at. How do I handle a trochee? How do I handle a shizura? You can go right to that lecture and take a look at it. So to me, yeah, I, I think you know these are things that we've discovered that are of great use uh, to our students. You know, I, I could have used this myself in calculus um, because every time I would <laughs> yes. watch the calculus yes. uh, uh, faculty member do something on the board, I said, well, I got that. That's easy. Well, I yeah. go home and try to do it, and something happened between the chalkboard and my house, and I couldn't remember exactly <laughs> what to do. But now, with everything digitally available, I actually think it's going to um, uh, going to increase the effectiveness of good teaching. I don't think it's going to do a thing to help bad teaching, but if you give a good lecture on on some aspect of performance, and it's there for people to look at over and over again. I'm, I just think it uh, it reinforces. Likewise, if we do something that's uh, foolhardy or not good teaching on on a uh, on digitally, and it's there for for the till the end of time, we've got another kind of problem. But I just think it does really. Uh, uh, I would say electrify, but that's too close to. But it does give you an opportunity to do things differently and do them over and over again. And I think it can. I think we can get a tremendous um, positive result uh, from some of the circumstances of the COVID nineteen, which we push back against. But I, I do think this lecture capture, I think that we're using in a lot of uh, classrooms now in traditional lecture settings. Where that lecture goes online, I'm, you know, I think I think for a faculty member to look at their own lectures, I've done some, and I think, man, I don't want to see that again. I, you know, <laughs> once was enough. But the bottom line is to be able to look at it and say, you know, I would do better if I would not do this or not do that or, you know, use the cadence of my words to make a stronger point or something. And if, and if we want to be good at it, like acting, teaching is a craft. I mean, and it requires a lot of precision and a lot of analysis and a lot of adjustment. And I, I think faculty all over uh, our campus and other universities are going to be better, especially teachers, better teachers than they've been in the past after they watch themselves enough on a, um, you know, on a video. 
All right, well, we are going to take a break. We're going to be back in one minute. West Texas A&M University is proud to call the Texas Panhandle home, and providing the top 26 counties with opportunity and qualified graduates is an important WT mission. From their first experience on campus to graduation day, the WT experience is a challenging series of steps that will embolden our students to reach their full potential, and then, in turn, go out into the Panhandle and make a difference. Quality education with a big local return is one thing you can find here at WT. For more information about West Texas A&M University, visit our website at WTAMU.com. West Texas A&M University is a student body that learns by doing and is always seeking opportunity. Talented and accomplished faculty that teach both in and out of the classroom. Programs that provide timeless information and meet the challenges of today's world. Facilities rich in technology as well as WT history. Now is the time to strengthen connections and open doors for tomorrow's leaders. Share your experience, share your heritage, share your pride. Welcome back to Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle. And while I'm thinking about it, Let's give a nod of thanks to our engineer, Johnny Story. We've never talked about him, and we appreciate everything you do for our podcast every time. Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, we should interview him one time. Really grill him. He won't do it. He he won't do it. (laughs) Mr. Brantley, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you have a long history of being at WT. What do you love best about WT? Well, bottom line has always been the people uh, for me. Uh, you, You cannot find a place where day-to-day the students, the faculty, and the staff are as welcoming, as warm, as friendly, and as genuine. Uh, you, you just don't find that everywhere. And plus, I think when you realize that, there then is this sense of we're in this together, and we're going to find an answer. Yeah. Uh, there are ups, there are downs, there are challenges, there's territory. But I think ultimately, there's always been a spirit here that uh, we're going to solve the problem. So uh, that, more than anything else, has has kept me here all, all these years. Have you, have you always wanted to teach? Uh, it was a surprise for me, no. Uh, it was know, for me, too. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know. Um, after I graduated with my MFA, uh, I was basically looking in the Dallas area to keep working as an actor, and we were looking uh, for Karen to get a, a job as a teacher. Uh, and... Uh, you know, and neither thing happened. And then she got a contract to teach up here with Canyon ISD. So I came up here and then the dean at the time, uh, Hugh Sanders, God rest his soul, he called me and he said, come come work for me. So I, was, I never thought about it. Uh, so I started part-time in 1983 and then full-time in 84. So it was an accident. Did, did your dad teach here? Yes, he taught voice. Uh, he was he t- taught uh, voice lessons, uh, opera workshops. So he directed the operas and did the music direction for the musicals that they did for many years. So you have a lot of ties here. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Hey, Randy, let me, I'm sorry. No, I, no, I'm no, getting in your way with this. But Royal, you gave about uh, four or five adjectives uh, describing the people of the Texas Panhandle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. Can you give me those again? Because there's one that I heard recently that really touched me. So if you'll give me those, I want to. Well, I don't know. Johnny may have to play them back. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. I think they're warm. Uh, they're friendly. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're genuine. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think. You know, it's just it's just good people. Yes. Uh, and uh, I think you know the a lot of people don't know this, but you know I, I've not always been in show business. I spent six years uh, farm and ranch, mm. and uh, as an employee, not so. And uh, 
was an old Aggie named Don Olson, uh, and God rest his soul, he taught me so many things. But that's where I really, on a day-to-day basis, I mean, go to a co-op. And that's, right. that's really where you'll discover West Texas. Um, but the people are the same. Uh, right. You know, those, those, those farmers, those ranchers, what they're trying to do, how they're working together, uh, they're very genuine. They're warm, but they've got a goal. And they're going to solve problems, uh, and I, I think you know it, it. You know that's where I really, you know, stepped out of the theater world and into the world of West Texas. And you see that with people here. Yeah, you do. Uh, th- this is the word I heard the other day, and it was from a source that I wouldn't have uh, kind of assumed it would come from. But it was from a, a doctor of veterinary medicine, a, a veterinarian, and a PhD interviewing for a position here on the campus. She was Canadian, came from a small. Um, uh, a small, very sparsely populated area in Alberta, north. Mm-hmm. They were a ranching family. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, there's something about the people here that I've discovered uh, that reminds me very much of home. And I said, can you give it to me in a word? And she said, yes, there is authenticity in these people. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I nodded my head just like you are. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. like you are, Randy. I nodded my head. I said, boy, that's a great word to think about the people of the panhandle because I'm – you know, I'm an outsider. I come in and I'm eyes wide open on on things here because it's all new to me, and I'm just I'm amazed by the character of the people. And everybody says that, and it sounds like a you know just a throwaway, but it's not. It is not there. And there is this this young woman uh, really did I think uh, put her finger on it. There's a kind of authenticity about things, and I think you need that to be a problem solver. I mean, I think you have to. It means that you're willing to look carefully at what's there and, and um, you know, not try to color it or shade it or anything, but just just address it somehow. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think because of the culture of WT and, and the culture of just the area, I, I think we generally get closer to our students than maybe a lot of other places do. So mm-hmm. I wanted to ask both of you, when you see a student that you know that you've worked with walk across the stage at graduation, how does that make you feel? Oh gosh, I'm elated. Uh, I, I'm elated, uh, and I know there's some people that that just they don't like going to graduation, and th- this is why you're getting pushback. And we'll make the segue here, uh, but uh, but it, it's about seeing that person achieve that goal. And I know that I've invested four years with that person. And in theater, you do get close uh, because it's not just morning, afternoon. It's also night. It's travel. It's weekends. So you get to know the person that is learning. And when they achieve those goals and then you see them walk across the stage, I'm elated. I, I'm with you. I love going to graduation. Yeah, yeah. For that very reason. We get close to them over here, too. Sure, sure. And, uh, yeah, how do you feel, Dr. Warner? Uh, very similar. Um, both uh, in this life as a as – a, an, an administrator, an academic leader, but also as when I as an architect when I taught architecture at LSU and Texas A and M uh, and Southern Illinois University, I did I got close to the students in the same way. You work very closely. It's very tutorial instruction, just like all three of our disciplines are similar that way. It's a lot of one on one, and you do get close to them. And the concept that the student has attained something that they aspired to and with a little nudging from you along the way is tremendously rewarding. I mean, it, it really is rewarding. And uh, I just, you can see it in the faculty at graduation. There is a sense of pride there and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, again, you've uh, not so much crafted as you would, uh, as a craftsman would shape a stone or a piece of wood or something or a, a canvas or a performance but you've crafted something or helped craft something here that basically, uh, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, it'd be overly dramatic, but it lives forever. 
Mm-hmm. It lives forever. Whatever happens to that student when they're here, even if they reject it 30 years from now, you know, I don't know how that would happen. Well, let's say they did. The fact of the matter is it still lives forever because that becomes then the uh, backstop against which they push. So it's always there. You can't take it away. And I think that's a powerful thing to be involved with. And we don't think about it enough as faculty. We're worried how many classes we're going to teach. You know, it's an overload. We're not paid enough, you know. And, and, and by the way, not the faculty here, but there's people talk that way. And I, I think we forget this part of it, that we're actually uh, shaping uh, human capital. Uh, yeah, I agree. In, in I don't forget sense. about it because I know what a crossroads this place was for me when yep. I was an undergrad. Yep. So. Yeah. So we, we talked about graduation. Graduation is going to look a little different this time. Let's right. talk about that. Right. We're doing another virtual graduation. It was a, uh, a very carefully, I, I say very carefully, deliberated decision. I talked with county commissioners from both Randall and Potter, Potter County. I talked with uh, the mayors of uh, Canyon and Amarillo. I talked with hospital administrators. I talked with area health uh, leaders, uh, um, I talked with everybody I could, and everybody said essentially the same thing. If you can do it, we were looking at three alternatives, um, inside, outside, and inside would be very highly choreographed, but inside, outside, also highly choreographed, and then virtual. And it, too, will be highly choreographed, each in a different way. But the bottom line is they all said, if you were asking me, I would say do a virtual graduation. And, uh, you know, they were profits because of the spikes in COVID right now. I read a quote in the paper. I'm not even going to repeat it, but it, uh, it, it is just a challenge. It's really a challenge right now in this part it of is. Texas. It is. I think that's a wise decision. I, I, you know, and I know it's hurtful. I've gotten emails from people and some, quite frankly, a little bit mean-spirited, you know, like I don't care or I don't understand. I do care and I do understand. But I also, in my role, I have to look after our relationship with the community. And if we expose people uh, in the healthcare community to, uh, I'll say, caseloads and so on that actually stress them beyond the point of being able to respond effectively, who have we served? And, you know, we talk about engagement and serving the community. This is one of the ways we do it. And by the way, this is West Texas. I think it's the right decision with the way things are right now. Mr. Brantley, a lot of people may not know uh, this about you, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about you've had a character on Star Trek named after you. Let's talk about that for just a second. (laughs) How did that come about? I didn't know that. Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, my middle name is Rugel. It's my mother's maiden name, uh, R-U-G-E-L. Uh, and when I worked in Dallas professionally, I had some good friends that wound up on the West Coast, and they were writers. Uh, it was a wonderful thing about that experience. In graduate school, I was exposed to playwrights and writers. And, and you really can't make too much of a living as a playwright, so they wind up writing for television and film. So Gene uh, Willande and John Wright uh, have been out in California for quite some time in writing, and they write teleplays. And they got an offer. They, they pitched an idea uh, to Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine, yeah. which is part of that franchise. Uh, and uh, so there's a character. He's a war orphan. Uh, he's a Cardassian by birth, but Bajorans adopt him and raise him. And his name is Rugal, but they spelled it R-U-G-A-L uh, instead of E-L. So he, he's, you know, so he's raised, he loves these parents who are Bajoran, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the Cardassians try to reclaim him. And he's like, no, these are my parents. I love them. So it's a great story about adoption, about the raising of a child. What, what is a family? Ask all those questions. So, yeah. That's cool. That's how I'm, that, that I'm a bit of a nerd, and so I like Star Trek. 
Do, do you consider yourself a Star Trek oh, expert? I'm a Trekkie. You bet. Okay. Well, this is our curveball. Dr. Windler, I don't know if you've ever watched Star Trek, but here's our curveball. I always throw our guest a curveball. Okay. Here's a curveball for you. <laughs> on the original uh, Star Trek series, on what episode did Chief Engineer Montgomery Scott save the Starship Enterprise from certain doom? You know the answer to that? Well, there's like 10. Exactly. That's the answer. Every episode, pretty much. So yeah. <laughs> that was that was a softball. Well, well, I'll give a specific example. So the star the, the Enterprise incident, they steal the cloaking device from a Romulan ship, and yep. Scotty is the one who fashions it to the Enterprise's infrastructure and enables the Enterprise to cloak and stealthily disappear before being destroyed. So there's a specific Yeah. <laughs> What do you, are you are you Trekkie at all, Doctor Wendler? Not, not so much, but I I was always a, a fan of Bones, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know he would use these devices to scan people, and he'd know what was. And then the other night on TV, I see this commercial where you put your two fingers on this thing, and it gives you an EKG, and it costs ninety bucks. Now, that's no big deal. Bones had one of those forty years ago. I mean, you know, it's just. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not all that much of a. But anyway, I did like bones. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up then. Thank you both for joining me today uh, for the November episode of Reflections from WT, the heart and the soul of the Texas Panhandle. Please join us again next time.